Well, our sermon this morning comes from the book of Proverbs. And you might be best helped this morning if you actually take out the notes in which you have in the bulletin when you received, when you entered. And uh, you'll find there a number of verses. You notice that we're going to be jumping around quite a bit. I'll explain that in a moment. Um, but uh, for our benefit this morning, as we uh, read from the scripture, uh, you would be helped, I think, to have that handout there. And um, I will begin with Proverbs 10, verse 11. By the way, it's good to be back with you all. And um, I had a wonderful time away, refreshing with my family. Well, I don't know if we, I got refreshed. After all, I was on vacation with seven children. Um, but um, we had a wonderful time together. But it's good to be back home. Praise God for his goodness to us. Hear now the word of God. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this time in which we can gather together in your honor because we have been redeemed, called out by the Lord Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. We by your grace, are your called out ones. And Father, we come here today because we are interested in praising you and giving to your kingdom and hearing from you. So please, in your kindness to us, would you now, through your spirit, help us to understand the truth found within your word. Will you give us hearts to receive and rejoice in the truth we shall consider this morning for your glory and our great gain, we pray it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I, I trust you are familiar with the expression, I heard it through the grapevine. You know that phrase? Some of you are perhaps even singing the song in your head, aren't you? The, the meaning of that uh, expression is, uh, is interesting. There's a lot of, actually, a number of different ways in, in which this expression came up. Of course, expression simply means that, you know, somebody told somebody who told somebody who, who told me. And, and you know, you, you may have some information and someone come up to you and say, oh, how did you know? And you would say, well, you know, I, I heard it through the grapevine, right? Um, which, of course, is somewhat odd because if you put your ear up to a grapevine, uh, you won't hear anything, right? So the expression comes from the 18th, uh, the middle of the 19th century, excuse me, and it was actually used by runaway slaves. Slaves trying to make their way north through the Underground Railroad, a, a, a series of safe houses where they would move from house to house in order to get to the, to the uh, free north, and they would find these homes of the sympathizers who would house them for a little while and feed them and take care of them and send them on to the next house. Well, one way that these slaves were communicated to about which house was safe and which house wasn't or where they might find food and so forth was actually through how they hung their laundry on the clothesline. And so they created a code. And a certain set of laundry meant this safe to travel in this area. Another set of hanging laundry meant, no, you need to stay in hiding for a little bit longer and so forth. It came rather elaborate type of uh, code. They, they actually called it the clothesline telegraph. From what I understand, rope was somewhat expensive back in this day. And quite often, if you were poor, you wouldn't use a rope for your clothesline. You would actually use a grapevine. 
So it eventually became known as the grapevine telegraph and then eventually shortened then to the grapevine. And so someone might say in the middle of the 19th century, well, how did you find this home? How did you know that this was a safe place? You, you might say, I, I heard it through the grapevine. Well, it, it's an interesting phrase because as we use it somewhat differently now, don't we? Right? Uh, usually not in reference to some life-giving uh, or freedom-granting information. It's often used to describe how I came about the latest bit of gossip. People today are not usually emancipated through our grapevine. Often reputations and characters are actually imprisoned through scandalous hearsay. You do realize, I think, that words have the power to free or to imprison. They even have power over life and death. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18 and verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I find that to be an extraordinary scene. If you didn't know the end, you, we might say, you know, death and life are in the power, and then finish the statement. You might say in the power of the hand, power of the sword. But Solomon says, no, no, no. It's actually in the power of your mouth, in the words in which you have. Even the, the expression, the power of the tongue is somewhat startling to me. I think we understand intuitively that our words have great power. And if we are to be wise, we must know, therefore, how to yield this power. Of course, wisdom is what we are seeking after in this summer series through the book of Proverbs, these seven sermons in which we are trying to discover from God's word how it is life works. Seems to me what wisdom is, the righteous competency in life's realities I know how life works. I know what, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, especially when the rules don't apply. That's what wisdom is, being competent in life, righteously so. And the book of Proverbs and many other passages, of course, in Scripture is given to us that we might grow in this wisdom. You've heard the expression, live and learn, which I think is helpful. The book of Proverbs actually says, no, we want to do the opposite. We want to learn from Proverbs and live. And so when Jesus, for instance, wanted to teach on humility, in Luke chapter 14, he turned to the book of Proverbs. When Paul wanted to teach on unity in God's people in Romans 12, he turned to the book of Proverbs. When Peter wanted to talk to the churches about deceit, he turned to the book of Proverbs. When James wanted to discuss pride and presumption, he turned, turned to the book of Proverbs. When the writer of Hebrews wanted to encourage suffering Christians, you know where he turned to? The book of Proverbs. It shows us how life works, how we are to be competent in life's realities, especially for our purposes this morning in regard to our words, how we speak. And so this morning we're going to consider the wise and their words. In order to do so, we're going to have to jump around quite a bit. You may know that the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters in the book of Proverbs are kind of introductory. and They're thematic. And once you get to chapter 10 and verse 1... In fact, it says uh, the Proverbs of Solomon. The first proverb you'll actually find is in chapter 10 and verse 1. And there you have all these Proverbs for the next 21 chapters or 22 chapters, but they're not arranged topically, right? There's not like a, a section on anger or a section on laziness or wealth, right? They jump from one topic to another. And so that's why you have this note sheet here. Um, you're going to be helped, I think, by I listed most of the verses that we'll be using here to help us. 
uh, on this topic of the, of the tongue. If you try to follow with the Bible, I don't think you'll be able to keep up with me as we go from passage to passage. In fact, one of the main topics in the book of Proverbs is the use of our mouth. In in working on this sermon, I I discovered there are 90 separate Proverbs on the use of the tongue. 90 of them. In fact, uh, one out of six Proverbs is about how you speak. There are more Proverbs on the use of the tongue than any other topic in the book of Proverbs. We read about the proud tongue, the lying tongue, the perverse tongue, the angry tongue, the encouraging tongue, the crafty tongue. We read about the seductive tongue, the soothing tongue, the instructive tongue, the flattering tongue, the guarded tongue, the quiet tongue, the crass tongue, and on and on we go. I, I, I think, I literally, I could spend three months of preaching on the use of your words just from the book of Proverbs. I, 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 I got 90, in fact, I, I, <laughs> I put all 90, out, 90 Proverbs, 150 verses there on the use of the tongue. And that's when panic began to set in in my heart, thinking, God, how, how in the world am I supposed to do this? Um, I, I have no idea how to preach like this. And you'll soon discover that to be true um, as we work through. Uh, you know what? I need wisdom in order to preach on how to get wisdom. Um, and so bear with me. I... I don't know last time I tried to preach a topical sermon like this. If you're visiting with us, most of the time we just take a passage of Scripture and what, what we call, we, we exegete or expose that passage. But today will be topical as Proverbs is arranged topically and we'll discuss the use of our mouth, as I've already said. It's interesting to me, why, why so, I mean, of all the topics in the book of Proverbs, why so much on the use of the tongue? Well, I think perhaps there are many reasons to, to why there's so much... Uh, Proverbs on the tongue. One might be we talk a lot, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Um, uh, I, I read that women, uh, I'm getting in trouble here, but I'll go anyways. Right, women, on average, speak 20,000 words per day. Men, it is perhaps not much of a surprise to you, speak about 7,000 words a day. Now, if, if, if your situation is anything like mine, by the time I'm ready to come home from work, I've I got like 300 words left. And, and my wife, who stays at home, um, has about 19,000 words left. And she's, she's ready to go. She needs to get them out of her system before the day is up, right? And, and this is what's going on. We need to talk, right? There's, that's, I think, perhaps one of the reasons we talk a lot. But, of course, there are much more important reasons why there's so much emphasis on the use of the tongue. I think perhaps most prominently, even as our brother pastor josh uh, revealed to us in his pastoral prayer is that uh the proverbs reveal our heart don't uh, the uh, use of our tongue reveals our heart you know jesus said in matthew 12 i tell you on the day of judgment people will give an account for every careless word they speak listen to this for by your words you will be you know what it is christian justified And by your words, you will be condemned. I think what Christ is saying is that our words so perfectly reflect the state of our heart. That judgment, evaluation of us, simply all God needs to do is not simply consider what we have done, but just listen to our conversations. That is shocking. All we need to know, all he needs to know, whether I'm truly a follower of Christ is to listen to how I speak to you and others. 
The theologian Sinclair Ferguson said the tongue is the hinge on which the door into the soul opens. And so it is, it is therefore hugely important. Don't, don't dismiss this time as we consider the use of our mouths. It's why there's so many proverbs on the use of their tongue. Why, why there's so many refer to the power of our words, both for good and for evil. So consider with me, first of all, this morning, point number one, the power of words. As you see there, and we already considered, Proverbs 10 and verse 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Chapter 12 and verse 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Chapter 18, verse 21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You see, the tongue can be used for good and evil. It can be used for healing and harm. Right? Our words can heal one another. As we see there in 12 verse 18, the tongue of the wise brings... What is that? Healing. Chapter 10 verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. And and perhaps you know what that's like. In fact, I would assume that you do. That, That how... People have come into your life with timely words, have encouraged you, have redirected you, have empowered you, have healed you. We need this ministry in our life. We need people to speak truth into us and to, to stir, serve us through their words and help us and heal us by speaking to us. Words lift us up. Words help us conquer our fears. Chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety is in a, man, in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. Isn't that interesting? There's something going on that brings anxiety in one's life. The circumstances of life are not favorable. And therefore, there's worry and anxious. And though those circumstances have not changed, you can move someone from anxiety to joy, from worry to gladness. Not by changing their circumstances, but by simply speaking to them. The good word makes him glad. Chapter 20, verse 15, the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. 15, verse 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. Your tongue, my brothers and sisters, can be to those around you, family and friends, a tree of life. You can feed many by your tongue. You can bring healing into people's life. I, I believe if we simply changed how we speak, our lives would be revolutionized, and perhaps those around us. There's power there. There's power to heal. But of course, there's, there's not just power to heal, right? Words can also harm. In chapter 17, verse 10, we see the wound that words can bring. Uh, rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. You see, words go deep into us. They penetrate us. The Bible tells us. You've heard, of course, the expression, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is utter nonsense. Right? In fact, the words will hurt you. Bring a hundred sticks and stones against me. The words will hurt me far more. Right? Because the sticks and stones just are done to me. Words are done within us. They penetrate us. How do you you crush a body? You do so with your fist. How do you crush a spirit? Simply by speaking to them. Chapter 12, verse 8. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. 
rash, unthinking, blurting out words, comments, emails. They destroy relationships. They, they, they destroy credibility. They destroy reputation. We even have a, an expression in American parlance, cutting remarks, right? It's like sword thrust. In fact, when, when you speak rashly like this, you would do well, I think, to imagine, even while you're doing it, razor blades firing out of your mouth as you are piercing the one to whom you are speaking rashly. In fact, these wounds linger, don't they? They are sometimes permanent. You know, once you speak a word, you cannot unspeak it. It's like 1218 tells us. It's a sword thrust. Right? You could put a sword into somebody, and then you could pull it out, Right? I take it back, you might say. Is everything now okay? No, of course not. Right? Even though the sword is gone, the damage remains. You could look at the sword and say, I hate you, sword. You could, you could break the sword. You could say, well, you know, I wish I never had the sword. But I'll tell you, the damage remains. And even as those wounds heal, the scars continue. Perhaps uh, you would agree that some of the most painful memories in your life include words harshly spoken to you. Words harm. Words can even kill. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I don't believe this simply to be figurative language, though I think there's an element of that. I think words can literally kill people. How many wars have been started by words? How many, how many murders have been caused by words? How many suicides have come about because of words that are said. Vince Foster, who worked in the Clinton administration, committed suicide uh, about a decade or so ago, perhaps a little bit longer than that. And and in his suicide note, he wrote of Washington, D.C., here, ruining people is considered sport. Death is in the power of the tongue. One woman who committed suicide in Los Angeles wrote a suicide note, which simply contained two words. Quote, they said... Words can kill. They can kill us physically. They can kill us psychologically. You call a child stupid. You tell a child they are worthless. That child will spend the rest of his or her life dealing with those wounds. Words become poison in us. They are toxin in our heart. They pollute how we see ourselves and how we see others. They kill relationships. They kill families. They kill churches. It is for this reason that James in chapter 3 and verse 5 wrote, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. It, it, is, it is somewhat startling how, why something so small can have such a massive impact. Right? Why does the noise that comes out of your, your mouth right, have such power for good or for bad? Why does it impact us so much? I wonder if it is simply because it's how God has created us, that we, we need words. Chapter 18, verse 21 says, Those who love the tongue will eat its fruit. Or chapter 10, verse 21, The lips of the righteous feed many. Solomon is explaining that words feed us, that words are like food to us. They are a fountain of life to us. We, we need them, right? It, it, it's, it's perhaps why you talk to yourself when no one's around, right? Why do you do that? Why are your thoughts not enough? There's something in us that we need to hear words, right? It's why we hate the silent treatment, right? Someone doesn't talk to you. That grows uncomfortable. 
Right? You, you don't like that. Why? Because words are food to you. They're withholding that from you. We, we need words. We need to speak. It's how you express yourself. You want to be known. How, how are people going to know you? They're going to be known. Uh, they're going to know you by what you say, how you speak. It's how you help your, even yourself understand yourself. You ever talk something out with someone? Right? You ever have some thoughts and you sit down and actually put words to your thoughts and talk it out and you end up understanding your thoughts even better? Right? Words help you see your thoughts. You might even say to them, thanks for helping me talk this out. I understand better. We need, we need words, just not thoughts, but we need to have our, 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 our thoughts encapsulated by words. Of course, you need to listen. You need healing. You need encouragement from others. I, 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 I just want to focus on that just for a moment that we need people to speak encouragement to us. And the reason is because we have this idea in our very individualistic um, American culture that it doesn't matter what people say to you, right? It, it doesn't matter what people say about you. We, we say things like, what does it matter what other people think? All that's important is what you think, right? Don't we say things like that? I understand like the intent of that statement, but do we really believe that? I, I've, been in, I've been in ministry for 18 years now. And, and if for 18 years I preached, and, and every week I finished preaching and, and people came up to me and said, you know, Stephen, uh, I love you, but that was awful. Right? <laughs> and, and the next week, you know, hey, Brother Stephen, it's good to see you. Love you, love your family. But you really need to get better at this preaching thing. And I got that week after week after week. What would I say? Well, I don't care what you think. All that matters is I liked it. All that matters is what I thought about myself. No, that would have a massive impact on me. In fact, I most likely would not be preaching anymore. And by the way, that's not an invitation for you all to come up and, you know, good job, right? But listen, we we, we need people. Don't Don't you need people come alongside and and encouraging you and affirm you. We need words. They're life to us. They're like food to us. The, the, the mouth of the righteous feeds many. I, I think it's because we're made in God's image. He was a, a verbal God. Our God is triune, as you know. And for all eternity, He and the Godhead has been communicating uh, to Himself, if you will. Praising and honoring and loving the members of the triune God. God began to create. And how did He create? Did He just think creation to an, into existence? No, He spoke He communicates in order to create. Jesus walked upon this earth and He performed miracles, not by simply thinking them, but by speaking them. He spoke to the lame and they walked. He spoke and the lepers were cleansed, right? It is through His words that demons were silenced and the storm was stilled. He spoke and dead people came out of their graves. And one day He is coming again to judge those who refuse to receive His mercy and grace. And how will He judge His enemies? How will He defeat them? Is it by, by, uh, by his fist or by some missile from on high? Friends, no, he is coming with a sword in his mouth. That is, he will defeat his enemies with his words. God is a verbal God. He has created us in his image. And therefore, these words have incredible power to us. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. And God wants to use your mouth to be a fountain of life to one another. He wants to use what you say to feed one another. May God help us. 
May God help us bring healing and refreshment and life to one another, not swords and poison and death. Words have great power. So if we are to heal one another, help one another through our words, what type of words ought we to speak? Well, uh, we, we could spend, as I mentioned, weeks considering this, but let me simply and quickly give you five types of words which should be coming out of your mouth from the book of Proverbs. First type of words that you should see, you find this on the reverse side of your uh, insert, are true words. Proverbs says in 24 and verse 26, Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Honest. Truth. If you allow this, I think this will be somewhat startling to us. We live in a land where lying seems to be part of life. It's no big deal. Spouses lie to one another. Friends lie to one another. Advertisers certainly lie. I hope this is no surprise, but politicians will lie to you. It's what we do. And I I don't think it really bothers us much. What about what does God think about it? Chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. It is an abomination to God to lie. It is so because lying destroys, it wounds, it breaks apart relationships. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A dishonest man spreads strife. It destroys community. You erect barriers between whoever you lie to. You have a view of reality uh, that is true, and you have caused them to have a view of reality that is false, and it is a barrier between you and them. Right? We are to speak honest, true words. Some of us withhold truth because we, we, we say, well, I love others, and I don't want to hurt them with the truth. Well, you know, Proverbs 27 and verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, if you are a friend, you will tell someone the truth, even if it hurts them. Right? People don't like hearing painful truth. I don't know anyone like that. Right? But a friend is one who comes and gives it. And and often we withhold it. We see something destructive in somebody's life and we will not tell them that. And we say, well, you know, I'm not going to tell them that because I want them to be happy. I don't want to hurt them. And I would say that's nonsense. The reason why we don't tell them the truth is out of not a love for them, but a love for ourselves. We don't want to place ourselves in the awkward and difficult situation. An enemy multiplies kisses. It is the friend that in love comes and brings truth. We are to have true words. We are to tell the truth. But... You should not always tell the truth. Tell the truth, but not always. Stay with me for a moment. Just because something is true, it doesn't mean it should be said. And I speak of gossip and slander. This book of Proverbs is full of warnings. You see, another type of words that we should have are not only true, but encouraging words. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 10, verse 18, whoever utters a slander is a fool. Chapter 16, verse 8, a whisperer separates close friends. I don't know how many letters in the, in the, in the New Testament written to the early church are, are given at least part to warn of divisive and, 
and uh, a partisan people trying to separate the church, separating friends through whispering. Proverbs 20, verse 19, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Right? You, the, the whisper reveals secrets. Now, there may become a time where you have to reveal secrets. But you should not, if you're, if you're talking to someone about someone else, because, and you're talking about their sin, be very wary of them. And the one way you can check your heart is you should not be enjoying that conversation. I may have to talk to my wife about the sins of our children, but I find no joy in doing so. Quite often when gossip comes out of our heart, it's because we have some perverse delight in it, as Proverbs 18 and verse 8 says. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Right? We gossip because we love it. We love controversy. It's tasty to us. We gulp it down. But in reality, it's toxic. It's poisonous to us. It will change those who say it and those who listen to it. It will create pride and envy in your heart, joy and other people's misfortune. Instead, we should use our mouths to encourage one another, to cheer one another on, to comfort the hurting. Proverbs 27, verse 9 Oil and perfume, perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. We should come and give earnest counsel and encouragement. Proverbs 16, verse 24 Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words. In other words, it's not enough simply for your words to be true. Your words also must be gracious. They must be encouraging, right? Some people, maybe some people here, have no problem telling the truth, right? I just tell it like it is. You might even find some joy in it. But friends, you, you, you need to consider the impact of your words. They need to be encouraging and strengthening. People will be impacted by them, right? It's not simply you gave truth. You need to give truth in a way that is gracious, that encourages us, that your words are like a honeycomb. You, you are to be encouraging to one another, Last night, uh, the, the men's ministry, we went to the Frederick Keys game. We had, uh, we were, uh, had a, a wonderful time. It was an exciting game at the end. Those who made it to the end, we we're in the ninth inning, and we were down by two, and, and we got two on with, I think, one out, and everybody was cheering and getting exciting. And it's always fun when a game gets like that, a bit of excitement, and the home team is being cheered on. Well, it seems to me that, that you and I as Christians, especially in the culture in which we live, it's almost as if all, if I could use this, uh, just bear with me for a moment, um, it's almost like all of our games are away games, don't you think? Like, the, like the, you know, we're out in the world and the world's just cheering against us, just constantly. It's hard to play in that environment. But where do we find the encouragement? Where do we get the cheering? Where do we get the strength? It's when we gather with the team. This is our team. And we ought to be people who are, are encouraging one another. We, we should look in one another's life and find what God is doing in, in one another's life, no matter how faint that might be, and, and praise God for it to them. Right? What if this week, here, here, simple point of application, what if this week every positive, God-honoring thought you have about another person you actually tell them. You actually speak it to them. Now, I'm not saying flattery. Right? You know, gossip is what you say behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. 
Flattery is what you say to their face that you would never say behind their back. Right? We, we should be not flattering them, but looking for what God, God's doing something in every one of your lives, isn't He? We ought to find that and praise God for it to them. We have encouraging words and true words. Another kind of words, we have thoughtful words. In other words, we just don't say whatever comes to mind. We need to think before we speak. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. That is, we, we don't speak rashly. We don't blurt whatever comes to mind. We choose words that are fitting to the listener. Chapter 10, verse 32. The lips of the righteous know what is fitting. Some translations put, know what is delightful. That, that, that we want our words that need to fit the person. Even, was Ephesians 4.29 that was read for us this morning? That, that we need to know one another. That we, we give grace to one another. That we build them up. We know what they need to hear. Proverbs 25 verse 11. A word fitly spoken, listen, is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Right, a, a fitly spoken word, a thoughtful word, right at the right time, in the right way, um, in a way in which they could hear it, it is like an apple of gold, he says. Right? You, sometimes we think, well, you know, I told them the truth. If, if it bothers them, you know, that's their fault. If they can't hear it, that's their fault. I'll tell you, that's foolish. You not only need to tell them the truth, you need to tell them the truth in the way that is fitting to them. Uh, give me an illustration that I... Got from Tim Keller. Imagine a husband and wife who the husband grew up in a family and, and the way they communicated, they always communicated indirectly, right? They never out, came out and said what they were thinking. They just dropped hints. And, and the wife comes from a family where they just blurt everything out, right? They just say what's ever on their mind. And, and she, she in, in a scenario like this, would always be saying, I had no idea you felt that way. And, and of course, he would say, well, I told you. Right? And what he means is I just gave you a little hint here and there. And you were supposed to pick up on that. Well, he didn't tell her. He didn't tell her in a way that was fitting for her. In a way that is apt for her. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. We need to craft our words for the, the listener. We need to think about, uh, about how they might hear it and share it with them. That it might be beautiful and exquisite. So, true words, encouraging words, thoughtful words. Fourthly, gentle words. Gentle words. Chapter 15, verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Right? 25, verse 15. A soft tongue, I like this. A soft tongue will break a bone. Isn't that interesting? A soft tongue breaks a bone. Well, what, what is a soft tongue? What is a, what is a gentle tongue? It's clearly not a weak weakness. Right? A gentle word breaks a bone. It, 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 it breaks down resistance. It breaks down defenses. See, a gentle word can be argumentative. Uh, so what, is it, what does he mean by soft or gentle? Well, in chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, note the contrast. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So a gentle word is not harsh. It doesn't seek to inflict pain. It, even when it's hard to hear, it's not trying to hurt somebody. You're, you're not trying to win an argument. You're not trying to put someone in their place. You're not trying to prove that they're wrong. You're motivated by your love for them. Even if your word comes and breaks a bone, the, the purpose, the intent, the, the, the tone of voice, the, your heart is one of love. You might come to them and say, I know you don't want to hear this. Right? But I need to tell you this. And they know that you love them and therefore it is gentle to them. 
I'll tell you, sarcasm, mocking, harsh words, they may win a battle, but you will lose that relationship. We are to have true words, encouraging words, fitting words, thoughtful words, gentle words. And then lastly, you notice this, we are to have few words. Few words. Chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Now, to tell a person who makes his living by speaking and who's not well known for his brevity, all right, that few words is the way to go. This verse is a bit discouraging to me. Right? I think the point in which he's saying it here is that the more you speak, the more likely harm is going to come out. And that it's good at times when we choose not to speak. It's good when we choose to bite our tongue. Proverbs 17 verse 28 says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Okay, so true words, uh, encouraging words, thoughtful words, gentle words, few words. And, and some of you may be thinking, okay, well, this is helpful. I could, no, this is good. I, I, now I know how I'm supposed to use my mouth and the words that I'm supposed to share. And, and I got kind of a, the, you know, hooks to hang my words on, make sure that they're fitting uh, these categories. And, and okay, then I'm glad that we considered this. But there may be some here, and there may be actually many here. Certainly this is what went in my heart as the more I thought about this, that I don't find this encouraging at all. I find it discouraging. I find this somewhat paralyzing. Does anybody relate to that? I mean, I, I almost when I when I got through the ninety verses, ninety proverbs on proverbs, I almost thought, how am I supposed to speak at all? Right? I mean, how how am I supposed to make sure every word is true and then at the same time encouraging and the same time appropriate for that particular person in their particular context at the at the same time is is not harsh and then it is economical at the same time right how do we live like that well consider briefly and lastly with me the source of our words the source of our words proverbs 10 and verse 11 says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life Chapter 15, verse 4 says, A soothing tongue is a tree of life. You notice the the metaphors that Solomon uses to describe our mouth. A fountain of life and a tree of life. How does a fountain bring forth water? It just kind of bubbles out. How does a tree grow fruit? It just just naturally grows on the tree. That's what trees do. I I like what uh, John Piper said. He says, in commenting on, on this passage, he says, The mouth is not a a factory of life, it's a fountain of life, right? In other words, we're, we're not to use our mouth, we're, in order to use our mouth appropriately to bring life to one another, we're, it's not supposed to be work, it's not supposed to be weary, right? It's not like, okay, i got these hundred commands to keep straight, and if I get them all done, then I'm going to bring life to one another, right? That, that's a factory of life. Right? And, and this is what people sometimes live, whether it's use of our words or any other Christian discipline. We have the commands and we lay them out and says, okay, I'm going to do them now. We gird up ourselves and say, okay, I will now go out and obey. I will keep the, these moral uh, commands, right? I'm going to watch my words and every night I'll put my head down on my pillow and I'll take an inventory of the words in which I've spoken to make sure that they were true and gentle and encouraging and apt and, and, and few, right? If you do that, that's a, that's a factory. It's not a fountain. Right? It doesn't work. I mean, how long are you going to keep that up for? 
A day, if you're lucky. Right? A fountain just bubbles out. A tree just bears fruit without effort at all. Right? Life-giving words just flow from us. Well, where should they flow from us? The Bible tells us, from our heart. Proverbs 16, verse 23. The wise man's heart guides his mouth. Or even our Lord said in Matthew 12, verse 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, you know what it is? The mouth speaks. It comes from our heart. It comes from what you desire most. Right? That's what your heart means. Your greatest longings. What, what you seek for significance. That's what your heart is. Lying words, in other words, come from where? Your heart. What, why do you lie? Well, because maybe you want to stay out of trouble? Well, so what is your heart filled with? Self-preservation. Or maybe you say, I lied because I want people's approval. Well, well, your heart is filled with the need of looking good. Gossip comes from where? It comes from your heart. Why do we gossip? We gossip because we do not love others. And many other reasons. Our heart is filled with pride. Lazy words come from our heart. We just want to get on with life. We, we don't want to bother crafting our, our encouragement for one another. Harsh words come from our heart. Why are we harsh with one another? Because we want to defend ourselves. Because winning is most important to us. Our heart is filled with self-love. All of our words come from our heart. In order for our words to be healing and righteous, our heart must be changed. It is not, here's the list, do them, though that might be helpful to a degree. Ultimately, we need a new heart. It is interesting to me that Jesus is called the Word of God. And that He came on this earth, and while He is here, in fact, the Father spoke to Him, didn't He? He used words to encourage Him. And when Jesus was being baptized, He said to Jesus, You are my beloved Son. I am so pleased with you. He was pleased with Jesus because Jesus was living a life of perfection. You know, Jesus is the only one who, who never had a self-indulgent word, never a, a thoughtless word, never a rash word, not once used his mouth in a sinful way. Even his enemies said, no one has ever spoken like this man. And this man who never had a sinful word, who no one ever talked like him, climbed a mountain with a beam upon his back, was nailed to a cross upon Calvary because of all of our lies and gossip and smears and slander and harshness. And there he was nailed, dying for all that we said that was evil and harmful. And even while he was on the cross, the Father gives him the silent treatment. The Father stops communicating to him, even to the point where Jesus cries, Oh my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He, he stops communicating his love to Christ. Why? So that he could communicate his love to you. He stopped talking to Jesus so that he would never stop talking to you of his love for you. Romans 8 verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
I'll tell you, my friends, these words will change you. These words from the Spirit of God will change your heart to the degree in which you hear the Father speak to your soul through His Spirit. I, my, you are my child. I love you. I am pleased with you. The degree in which you hear that is the degree in which you no longer need to lie. You no longer need to gossip. You no longer need to slander. You no longer need to be harsh. Your heart is free from all those loves. Your heart is now free to tell truth in an encouraging and fitting and gentle way. So my question for you, my brothers and sisters, does your, does your mouth, does it, does it starve others or feed others? Does it bring healing or harm? Do you have words that are like apples of gold? Or thrust of a sword. And I'm sure all of us are a mixed bag, aren't we? All of little of both. But please understand that, that we, we often hurt one another with our words. When we do, we need to run to Christ. We need to let Christ change us. We need to fall in love with Christ that we no longer need to speak in the way in which our heart leads us as He changes changes our heart. I love how 1 Peter 1 puts it. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. You understand, I think, that you are saved through words. Right? You are not saved through your own effort. You are not saved through your own work. You are not saved through your own religious rituals. You are saved by by believing the Word of God. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing the Word of Christ. It's the very Word of God that comes and saves us. And it's the very Word of God that will change us if we listen to His truth. Are you allowing Him to speak to you that you might speak to one another differently? For my friends here that that think that you might become right with God by performing acts of goodness or being righteous or religious ritual, please understand that the Bible teaches none of that. It teaches simply that we will be made right from God when we make Jesus Christ our our Savior, our King. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing in that truth. Believing in the crucified and resurrected Lord, bowing your knee to Him as your, your God and your King and your treasure by faith is how we become right with God. But it's not simply how we become right with God, it's how we are changed into someone new. May God's truth change us that our words will bring healing and hope for His glory and for the gain of those around us. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for you and your work in us. And yet even as I consider these, these truths, Father, I am particularly aware, powerfully aware of my own failings. I even think of your prophet who in beholding your majesty said, I am a man of unclean lips. 
amongst a people of unclean lips. Even our brother prayed for it. Will you, I pray, I just echo his prayer, forgive us. Forgive us when our words, you have given us such power for good with our words. And yet we, we turn it and use it for harm far too often. Help us to be so enamored, so delighted in the work of Christ that we no longer need to harm one another, that we find our delight in helping and healing and encouraging. Help us to be an encouraging people. Help us to guard our hearts that our mouths might be changed. And we pray for our brother or sister here, our friend or, or who is here, Father, that might not know Christ, may know about Christ, may have a, a set of thoughts about Christ, even a set of beliefs about Christ, and yet Christ is not his or her Lord. They do not live for him. Father, will you please, even by your grace, convict them even now of the truthfulness of the gospel, win their heart, Cause them to be born again by your spirit, that they might bow their knee to Christ as their Savior and God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.